Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the last seven days. Stories like these. The mayor has tapped the first Latino CEO to run Chicago public schools, Dr. Pedro Martinez. I know what's possible for our children. I know that our children can reach their full potential. Mayor Lori Lightfoot is calling on the city's watchdog to investigate Alderman Jim Gardner. There ought to be a fulsome investigation so we can actually get to the bottom of what did happen versus what didn't happen. Together we are making history today, taking a giant leap forward to mitigate the impacts of climate change, to establish the most aggressive clean energy standards in the Midwest. More scandal rocking the city parks department tonight. A sudden resignation from the woman in charge of investigating the widespread sexual harassment of female lifeguards. Joining me for those stories and more, Paris Schutz, WTTW political correspondent and host of Chicago Tonight. Paris, welcome back. Hey, Sasha. And Nader Issa, who covers schools for the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome, Nader. Thanks for having me, Sasha. Mayor Lightfoot announced her choice for who's going to run Chicago public schools. He's a CPS grad. He's a former district official and the school system's very first Latino CEO. Nader, tell us what you know about Pedro Martinez. Yeah, so he's certainly a man who has a lot of ties to Chicago public schools and to Chicago. He immigrated to the city when he was six years old. He's the the eldest of 12 siblings, all of whom attended Chicago public schools. He has three sisters who teach at CPS, um, almost 30 nieces and nephews who attend CPS schools. And so this is also his second time teaching, um, excuse me, working at CPS. He worked under Arnie Duncan in the 2000s as the chief financial officer. And so he has ties to CPS. He's he's coming from San Antonio, where mm-hmm. he was the superintendent there. And so he has a bit of experience leading an urban district, and he's going to be trying to use that experience here to take CPS forward. But Martinez has never been a teacher or a principal, right? So what are you hearing about that? Right. That's one of the big question marks now as he comes into CPS. Um, we know the CEO before him, Dr. Janice Jackson, she had a doctorate in education. She was a CPS student and then teacher, principal, low-level administrator, rose all the way up to CEO. She spent her entire career at CPS, Has had taught in a classroom uh, all her career before turning into an administrator. Mr. Martinez is is a, a very different um, career background. He has an accounting degree. He went to uh, get his master's degree in business. Um, he, he's never taught in a classroom, never been a principal. And so talking to people down in San Antonio, they view him in a, uh, a different way than, for example, here we would view Janice Jackson, where she was sort of the top educator setting education policy from the top down. Mm-hmm. Mr. Martinez is sort of a manager in chief. He's going to oversee the district, manage operations, but then try to put people in positions that um, covers their expertise. And so, yeah, it, it's going to be a little different. Yeah. It sort of rings some bells to the early Rahm Emanuel days where he had a lot of business people running the district and then, Obviously, Mayor Daley before him uh, had a lot of a lot of people with business backgrounds, and so 
it's sort of a, a bit of a flashback to the past. Yeah, it's a, a very different approach, so there will be a, a lot for us to keep our eyes on. Let's move over to City Council, though. Uh, the Chicago Board of Ethics has found probable cause that Northwest Side Alderman Jim Gardner may have violated anti-retaliation rules. Paris, before we get into what Gardner is actually accused of, what exactly is the Chicago Board of Ethics? Well, I mean, it can be seen as an obscure board that uh, basically does exactly what it says it does. It oversees the ethics ordinance in the city of Chicago, and if other people are found to be violating it, it issues fines. I mean, up until a few years ago, it didn't really have much teeth, and it really didn't do much, but under the leadership of uh, the board chair, uh, Bill Conlon, it has been issuing fines against older people over the last couple of years. So it just adds to the the legal uh, jeopardy that uh, this alderman is in. So tell us now what the board has found. What reporting has found over the last couple of weeks that there's probable cause to believe that uh, Alderman Gardner is using the power of his office to retaliate against constituents that he doesn't like or against constituents that won't get on board with him. In this instance, um, One of those constituents is a a business owner there that was critical of Alderman Gardner. So Alderman Gardner, in text messages, urged staffers to leak criminal court documents about this constituent from about, you know, 20 years in the past, a weapons case that this constituent had, in efforts to smear this constituent. And, you know, talking to business owners and constituents in that ward, this is a pattern. I mean, business owners talk about having inspectors sent over to their place, uh, Gardner coming in and threatening them to get on board in person and, and, and saying that if they do, good things will happen for them, and mm-hmm. if they don't, they'll be punished. This is the kind of stuff you heard 50, 60 years ago from uh, Alderman, but this kind of overt uh, alleged behavior is kind of shocking that you hear about it now. Alderman also made news this week for voting on their own pay raises. Nader, were there any surprises in how this vote turned out? Um, not necessarily. I think I think the pay raises have sort of been an automatic thing that aldermen accept in previous years. Um, this is going back to the mid two thousands when um, essentially they set up a system where their salaries go up or down based on inflation. And this year, we know in large part due to the pandemic, there's been a lot of inflation, and so they're due to get five point five percent pay raises. Five. Uh, Alderman rejected them. One of them, Ray Lopez, essentially said, hey, our, our constituents are struggling during the pandemic. And you can even look at median income in Chicago pre-pandemic. It was in the 30s for individuals, like $37,000. And the lowest paid alderman makes 109000 And so hmm. it's something that some aldermen had on their mind, five of them. Um, a sixth one actually just a few minutes ago sent out a statement, Byron Citro Lopez, that he's going to join the the five who had already bypassed their salaries, um, and he's asking to pass on his raise to a couple of his aides. And so some people are, are wondering why they need that salary increase um, when they're all, every single city council member is already making six figures. Let's take a look at state politics. Paris, this week a massive energy bill became law. Is this a big win for the governor? It is a big win for the governor. It's a big win for ComEd. It's a big win for clean energy advocates. It's not such a big win for Chicago residents that pay uh, ComEd for their utility bill because they're going to see an extra four, five, six, seven dollars a month here on their bill because this uh, piece of legislation uh, bails out the struggling uh, nuclear power plants in downstate Dresden and Byron that 
were going to close because they were losing money. But now because of this rate payer bailout to the tune of $700 million, they're going to stay open. So that's part of the bill. The other part of the bill is that it makes sure that the state by 2050 is going to be 100% carbon-free, wind, solar, renewable energy for all of its energy. The sticking point, why this couldn't get done before, was there. there's downstate coal plant that is publicly owned. And so they didn't want to close. And, and so the compromise was that they, ha- they can still operate, but yeah. they have to be carbon-free by 2045. Nader, on Monday, the governor also announced some relief for parents of young children, as well as child care workers. Let's start with the $1,000 bonus for child care workers. Why is the state doing this? Yes, there's been a ton of turnover in in the workforce. And a lot of parents, you look back to when schools went remote, parents just didn't have an option for where to put their their kids. And so what the, the state's trying to do, what the governor's trying to do is get some more workers into the door, some more child care workers, there were shortages last year, and, and that's one of the big reasons. Even the the daycares that stayed open, they mm-hmm. just couldn't find people to come to work. And so the, that's sort of trying to increase the workforce. We've seen across industries there's a shortage in workers, and this is this is sort of trying to stabilize a key industry that can can help other parts of our economy to so parents can have their kids being taken care of they can work um and it's a big priority for the state yeah and they're also giving parents of young children some child care uh, help as they look for jobs right exactly yeah and that's a big issue too is it takes time to look for these things and um parents are trying to have their kids taken care of they're also trying to get jobs we had a lot of people laid off essentially people are going to be able to get free child care that's part of the the relief that the state has given. Paris, we've got to touch on a, a big development this week: the the city lifeguard scandal uh, mm-hmm. that continued with the resignation of Chicago Park District Inspector General Elaine Little. Catch us up. Well, I, there's not much I can add to what Dan Mielopoulos over there at WBZ and your team uh, has reported on. But, yeah, Lane Little resigns after WBZ reported that she was the subject of an investigation into wrongdoing herself when she was director of investigations at Cook County Juvenile Jail. So she says, hey, th- there's not really any truth to this, but I'm going to step aside because I don't want anything to taint um, the investigation into sexual abuse here. And the Park District Board Chair Avis Lavelle saying, we have every reason to get to the bottom of this. I think after after what WBZ has reported, there's a lot of skepticism whether they really do want to get to the bottom of it. Because remember, the deputy inspector general quit, accused the, the district of attempting to impede and instruct the investigation. But now, as you know, it's gotten the attention of Cook County State's attorney, Kim Fox, who is also looking into it, investigating. So, you know, between all of those probes, hopefully the truth comes out. Yeah, I want to echo Paris there and credit WBEZ's Dan Mahalopoulos for his great reporting showing that Little was actually under investigation for alleged conflicts and wrongdoing at a previous job as director of investigations at Cook County's Juvenile Temporary Detention Center. Dan also did that great reporting about Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox, as you just mentioned. What is the reaction from City Hall about this, Paris? Uh, there's a few older people that are uh, they're really angry, actually, um, with, with the Park District, uh, especially given the climate that, uh, that we're in, the Me Too climate, uh, and, and the fact that really no heads have rolled over there. Um, you know, it, it, it's curious, the mayor's reaction, she's still sticking by Park District uh, 
um, CEO, uh, Mike Kelly, um, you know, and not really criticizing him for any of this, even though this had happened on his watch. There's, I mean, there's nothing to prove that he knew about any of it. Uh, but there are some other people that, that do want more heads to roll and that are really angry that this happened. That's Paris Schutz, WTTW political correspondent and host of Chicago Tonight. Also with us for our weekly news recap is Nader Issa of the Chicago Sun-Times. We still have plenty of news to talk about, including stories like these. Just days before his hush money trial was set to begin, former House Speaker Dennis Hastert reaches an out-of-court settlement. COVID is already spreading through some classes at Chicago public schools, leading to thousands of quarantines. In the first two weeks of school, CPS reported 245 confirmed cases of COVID-19. 155 were students, the rest adults. It was once the place to shop. Sears was the store to get everything from large appliances to tools to clothes. They cornered the market. Then they lost it. And we covered a lot of Chicago politics in our last segment. Now let's move over to the suburbs. Former U.S. House Speaker Dennis Hastert, who represented the far northern and western suburbs of Illinois' 14th district, was in the news again for some pretty unsavory stuff. Fill us in, Paris. Well, you know, that he reached a settlement with his accuser, uh, one of his accusers, uh, um, you know, accusing him of uh, sexual abuse. Uh, and uh, there was a hush money uh, deal that the two made, you know, uh, and there was a $1.8 million outstanding on this uh, hush money deal that Hastert had promised to pay this victim for keeping silent. Of course, this hush money deal led to Hastert's conviction by the feds and subsequent jailing because of the way he withdrew money from banks to make these hush money payments. So he's convicted of that. It's questionable um, whether the accuser here would have won this case because it wasn't like a written agreement they made for these hush money payments. But nonetheless, they came to a settlement to avoid trial, uh, to avoid further embarrassment, to avoid further pain for both of them. Uh, And it's just another sorry chapter in the end of the career of the former U.S. House Speaker, uh, Dennis Hastert, who was found guilty, convicted of these hush money payments or the way he took money Mm -hmm. to pay these victims of his sexual abuse. And Dan Cronin, longtime chairman of the DuPage County Board, announced he won't be seeking a fourth term. Uh, Are Republicans worried about losing control of the state's second largest county, Paris? Yeah, well, and DuPage County was a Republican stronghold for years and years and years. Reliably read Dan Cronin, a long time, you know, chair of the board there. Then before that, for two decades, he was uh, a representative in the state legislature. And he's kind of a dying breed out there. As you've seen, those suburbs grow more and more blue. They they voted for Biden. They voted for Clinton in 2016. And that was kind of unthinkable years and years and years ago. And you know, even he's saying the way to win these suburbs back is to is to hew to the traditional Illinois uh, moderate conservative mold where you're pro-business, you know, you're right of center, you're not so conservative on social issues. It certainly doesn't seem uh, where the party is headed nationally or even in this state. So, you know, to become red again, they, that party has to become less Trumpy and more more what it was, more mm-hmm. moderate. Does he have plans to run for another political office? 
He says he doesn't. I mean, he's in his early 60s. He says he's happy to okay. retire. And, of course, if you've been a lawmaker for many, many years in Illinois, there's a lot of opportunities open to you, uh, whether you're going to be on the board of something or you're going to lobby. I'm not saying that's what he's going to do, but that's typically what uh, longtime lawmakers tend to do in their retirement. Right. Nader, let's take a look at how the school year's been going. You wrote a story about how some 5,600 CPS students were ordered to quarantine in the first two weeks of school. It sounds like a big number, but is it? Yeah, so it's, it, it does sound like a big number. And then putting it in context, you have to remember CPS, at putting charter schools aside, they have 290,000 students. And so it's about 2% of the kids that have quarantined at some point or other in the first two weeks. I think the big issue with this is transparency. If the past is going to represent what's, what might happen in the next few months, we know that cases might go up in the fall and the winter. Now, while cases are relatively low, what we're looking for is transparency from CPS. And they've had uh, tons of problems with tracking cases, reporting them to the public. They have this online tracker that they're only updating once a week in the middle of the week. And mm-hmm. so it's not really representing what's going on in schools. Um, We heard from tons of schools, teachers, principals, parents that cases at their schools and quarantine numbers aren't being accurately represented. And so the big thing with the 5600 is it's almost double what CPS had reported online last week. And then early this week, we find out, no, it's actually not um, 2,900, it's 5600 students. And so that's just going to be something to keep an eye on going forward. Hopefully it's not a problem. Cases don't go up and, and schools um, schools can operate safely. But if they do go up, we're going to need to see some transparency so that parents are able to make accurate and thoughtful decisions about their kids. What about remote learning options? Are you hearing parents ask for that? Yeah, there's since before the school year started, there's been a group of parents who have been pushing for remote learning. There's a lot of anxiety about going back, especially with Delta. Again, cases, relatively speaking, are are stable. We, After an uptick uh, toward the end of the summer, we're seeing them go uh, back down a little bit. But there's anxiety. Some kids, some parents are going back into crowds and into people for the first time in a year and a half. And so CPS isn't letting them take a remote option. There's an option for medically fragile students, but they have to get proof from a doctor for that, unlike last year. And so it's only serving, last I checked, a few hundred kids um, online. I see. Yeah, some parents want a remote option just to feel that comfort and and safety, but so far CPS hasn't allowed it. And and the state really is, is saying, telling districts, we need to be back in person. What can you tell us about the Southwest Side Charter School in the Archer Heights neighborhood that had to shut down for a couple weeks? Yeah, so that's sort of a good case example of what happens at a CPS school that isn't really managed by CPS. So it's a charter school. It's managed by a private uh, charter operator. The Chicago Teachers Union also represents the employees, the workers at um, that charter operator. Mm -hmm. And unlike their negotiations with CPS for district-run schools, they do have an agreement in place for safety and and COVID-19 protocols at that school. According to that agreement, if they have three cases in three different classrooms, the school shuts down for two weeks and goes back to remote learning. And so that's exactly what happened. They went back to remote for a couple of weeks. 
the CTU sort of took that uh, as an opportunity to say, look, this is what we have in place here at the charter school. We want this district-wide. The mayor is not, not agreeing to, to our demands or ideas for, for how to operate safely. And so at that school, those kids are remote. They all got Chromebooks. They'll be learning virtually. The interesting thing actually is uh, that charter school in its same building has two other schools operated by the same charter operator, but they're on different floors. And so they're essentially saying there is no mix between kids from different schools. And so those other two, even though they're in the same building, are still in person. Okay. Okay. Paris, back to you. City Council approved payment of more than $20 million to two men who spent 23 years in prison for murder after allegedly being framed by a Chicago police detective. What is this about? Well, this is tied to former police detective uh, Reynaldo Guevara. He framed these two young men back in 1993 for a murder they didn't commit. Um, and it's not the first time that the city has paid out money uh, tied to this former disgraced uh, police detective. So this is now more than $60 million in police misconduct settlements paid out in cases tied to Guevara. And then that's part of more than half a billion that the city has paid out because of police misconduct in all these settlements. So it just highlights the very costly problem of police misconduct uh, in the city and, and the liability that the city faces when when police officers or lieutenants or sergeants uh, misbehave and violate people's rights. There was another police story, Paris. A Chicago police sergeant says he's been the victim of whistleblower retaliation for filing a complaint about a supervisor requesting officers guard his private home. What do we know about that? Well, this is Sergeant Mark Vanek, and he claims he was retaliated uh, because he blew the whistle on, on a lieutenant that he says deployed officers to go guard his house in Bridgeport. Now, this is when they were patrolling in that neighborhood during some of the civil unrest uh, for 2020. So basically... Uh, Sergeant Vanek says he was demoted from working on a narcotics unit uh, to going to patrol uh, a west side neighborhood uh, on overnights. I mean, he says that was a demotion uh, from what he was doing. So he and lawyers uh, have have sued for retaliation for blowing the whistle. They had had a press conference uh, this week and uh, they're you know, they're taking the city to court on this and. Of course, uh, no comment from the police department because they say, well, we're not going to comment on right. investigations or court cases that are ongoing. In Paris, there was news in the theater world this week. Robert Falls, who's the Tony Award winning longtime artistic director of the Goodman Theater, he announced that he'll be stepping down next summer after finishing up this current season. What kind of legacy has he left on our city's theater scene? Well, he's a, he's really a legend in the theater world. He helped build the Goodman into one of the nation's premier groundbreaking theaters over the 35-year uh, tenure that he was there. I mean, some of the classics there when he brought in Brian Dennehy to do uh, Death of a Salesman. I mean, that, those are the things that Chicagoans will always remember. But, you know, the, the Goodman's philosophy was to kind of lure people in with these big classic productions of Shakespeare, Macbeth, King Lear, uh, Chekhov. And then once he got, you know, people interested in the Goodman, they would they would fill out their season with really groundbreaking new plays from up and coming uh, playwrights and uh, obscure playwrights. And it was really successful. I mean, you have a theater that made money uh, that had lots of interest in it, but then was also able to sort of 
break new ground with new plays. That's the dream of every theater. Right. So Falls has has nothing but respect in the theater world, uh, and and the Goodman is uh, is going to be sad to see him go. And uh, Nader, something else that's coming to an end here in Illinois. Yesterday, Sears announced that it's closing its store in the Woodfield Mall. That's the last store in this state. Does this feel like the end of an era to you? It does. It's kind of it's kind of sad to think about. Um, years ago, you you need five different things. You go to Sears and you can right. find them all. You can yeah, any one of those department stores. And so it's sad to think about. I guess I guess now people are just shopping on Amazon and get things delivered to their door. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly is sad to think about. And malls. Yeah. I guess, what does this say about the future of our malls? Of, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it means people aren't going to malls anymore or it's just those big anchor stores or department stores that people are just going to shop for clothes or shoes and and they're going to one place in particular don't need everything all at once um yeah yeah but it's not a great sign to to be missing those big stores for for malls yeah sears brings back so many early memories for me paris what about you did you ever go to sears when you were growing up well, yeah, Sears was everywhere. I grew up uh, in the Oak Park area. There was a giant Sears on the corner of Harlem and Lake. There was uh, Sears, uh, as you mentioned, in Woodfield Mall. There was Sears uh, yeah, everywhere. And, and now it's like, wait, is this, does this company still exist? Oh, yeah. wait, they still had that right. that place. There was the Sears Tower that, you know, it's the Willis Tower now. We don't call it that anymore. <laughs> a, a lot of Chicagoans still call it the Sears Tower. Right. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's memories of a Chicago past, uh, and uh, but uh, all things must pass, as uh, George Harrison said. All things must come to an end. I just wonder where the teens are going to hang out now. Well, there's plenty of other places. <laughs> to hang out. Just you know, just just a question. Well, that is sure. Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, and Nader Issa, education reporter for the Chicago Sun Times. Thank you both. Thanks for joining us for the weekly news recap. To really understand the stories behind the headlines, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Then please take a few seconds to give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.